Iowa everywhere. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hello, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, Iowans everywhere. We're thrilled to have you stop by for Episode 7 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. My name is Chad Leistico. I am a sports columnist for the Des Moines Register. I cover the Iowa Hawkeyes and am grateful to be with you live from the Channel Seed Studios. Well, the Penn State game could not have gone much worse. As Kirk Ferentz said, the only highlight was the performance of Tory Taylor in Happy Valley, where punting certainly was not winning. A 31 to nothing loss and a lot of pieces to pick up on both sides of the ball, particularly on offense. Scott Docterman of The Athletic, my friend, uh, good to see you. I'm not sure if you want to dive into this like an autopsy, but we did. <laughs> but I'm wondering if we did witness the time of death on this Iowa offense once and for all? Well, that that's a, certainly an opener, Chad. Um, this is a, a really a, it it might be, and it should be. And to quote Harry Carey, it is. No, it, it really seems to be at this point, when you look at the numbers, you've got to really stretch to wonder how this will ever, ever, ever work um, for years. We've seen this decline in the offense. And then last year was the worst offense and the amount of people making fun of it and the drive for 325 and the graphics that go up and people that literally will not cover games because they do not want to watch Iowa's offense. And then you see what happened in Unhappy Valley for the Hawkeyes. And the numbers are so gross out of proportion. The 45 to 14 in time of possession with change both ways, 28 to four in first downs. Um, to see the, the the lopsidedness in play, you know, 97 to 33. And then to ultimately look at the usage of certain players on the offense, Chad. And I'm looking at this going, you just cannot do this anymore. You can't sell this to your your constituents, your fans, your, your ticket buyers. Um, and so, yes, I think that unless there is some sort of a change, there will be some sort of a change ultimately. Yeah. And great setup there. We are going to get into this offense uh, in our main topic of the show uh, in, in a much deeper fashion, but uh, I definitely have heard from the fan base uh, after this one. I mean, I think, I don't know. I feel like we've heard I'm done before from Iowa fans, and that's that's not a criticism. That's all fan bases, you know. <laughs> I think you and I are about the same boat with our our pro team, uh, but uh, and we told we we vowed we would not bring up the Chicago Bears this week. So sticking to the Hawkeyes here, but I uh, I'm wondering, you know, I, I do feel like that this is. I wrote this after the game because of how this, the rest of the schedule sets up. There's not another signature game opportunity, et cetera. Yes. You could go win the West and we're going to get to that too, but 
this was this was the evidence. I mean, you look at forty-two to three to Michigan in the Big Ten championship game, fifty-four to ten to Ohio State last year, thirty-one nothing to Penn State. These are the three giants in the East. You scored zero offensive touchdowns in twelve quarters. So that is enough evidence. And I just it does not seem to be. That's where I think the the frustration is because for years, Scott, we even talked about heck we talked about in 2019 and even in 2020. You know, this team might have been able to match up in the in the Big Ten title game, but you know, going back to our conversation before the season on 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 Iowa everywhere, you know, can Iowa compete in the Big Ten title, not just get to Indy? To Indy, it just doesn't feel like even in these next eight games they could get to that point. To me. Now, obviously, they're going to have a chance to prove differently, but that's kind of where I think the fans are right now, too. They've reached their max when it comes to anger and vitriol because it's been the same thing over and over and over again, Chad. I mean, this is an offseason where uh, they invested heavily. They went to free agency and got a quarterback out of the free agency market. They went and got wide receivers. They got a good tight end. They got, you know, offensive linemen who don't start, but still they invested heavily in the, in that market to bring athletes in because why? Because it was the, it was the players that were the problem the last couple of years. It wasn't the scheme. It wasn't the play caller. It was, it were the players. So you have a new quarterback, one with a great pedigree, one who completed 64% of his passes on a championship team two years ago that fit all those things. We saw a maturing offensive line. That's what we heard. Well, they're much better shape now. They're, they're more veteran. Uh, wide receivers because they couldn't stretch the field and the other ones had left. Um, and here we are. What is the same element? It's the scheme. It's the head coach and it's the offensive coordinator. It's the play callers. And there, I've talked to many fans who are, aren't the vocal fans, aren't the ones on Twitter that'll complain, even if it's, you know, Nate Stanley throws five touchdowns. Well, it wasn't eight, you know, against Iowa State, things like that. I've heard from a lot of fans who've said, I'm just tired of this. I don't, you know, you want to be entertained. It is, it's a sport. It's fun. It's what people do. And 13 to 10 victories, you know, are dissatisfying. Um, just like four, 51 to 44 basketball games are dissatisfying. And to reach this point and to feel like, yeah, they could still go to a bowl game. Maybe they'll go to Indianapolis, but they're not going to compete. And this just isn't an entertaining brand of football that they've reached that point. And it's to me, it's a tipping point of between anger and apathy. And if they go out and, you know, let's say they win this week, we'll, we can talk about that, but I expect they will. But what if it's 16 to 10? And then what if they beat Purdue and it's, 23 to 14 and it, and it, that's just not going to be enough for this team this program for these fans who have bought every season ticket you know and i think right now they are reaching that dangerous juncture of between anger and apathy and if that doesn't get straightened out very soon it could be a very detrimental situation for this whole athletic department not just the football program sky did a great job outlining problems we're going to get to solutions later in the show potential solutions 
But uh, as you mentioned, Iowa comes home for a night game at Kinnick on Saturday. It's going to be sold out, and that means you'll need your blackout Hawkeye gear. So this is a good time to remind you that Legends and Listeners is always brought to you every Thursday by Heartland Flags and Gifts, which offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S. and always has fresh products. Nearly every team, every sport, and every flag. Visit our friends online, heartlandflags.com, or in-store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. Scott, there was a play disparity of 97 to 33 on Saturday in Happy Valley, which to me was the most staggering statistic of all the statistics because it's not like Penn State was running hurry up either. I mean, if they had run hurry up, they could have run 120 plays. Um, So I do want to talk about the defense, and I'm not, you know, certainly the offense is the big elephant in the room. We already touched on that, but let's talk about the defenses. Our we're just going to do one appetizer topic today so we can have more time for our entree. Uh, and my question is this, Scott. Four games in, does Iowa have an elite defense or is it just merely good? Because this team is not creating turnovers, three. It is not creating sacks, three. It is not getting off the field. Even with a 63% third down rate, they're still giving up fourth downs. So teams are figuring out the death by paper cut strategy does work against Iowa. Uh, I guess that's where my concern is. How would you answer that question? I would think, I still think they're a very, very good defense, but elite was what we saw last year. And, you know, one statistic that really jumps out at me that that suggests that it's still very, very good is they've only allowed 4.2 yards per play, which is seventh in the country. And last year, they led the country at 3.99. That Those are great numbers, fantastic numbers. Both, well, obviously, last year's was. But this year's is still very, very good. But they were unable to get off the field against Penn State. We saw what they, how they were able to, to use that. And as you said, there wasn't any hurry up. It was just they were attacking. And what is that detriment? What's that big donut hole in the defense? And it's disruption in the pass game. That's what they had last year. They had 37 sacks. This year, they have three. And, you know, Lucas Van Ness was a big part of that. So John Wagner wasn't as really as disruptive as much as he was impactful in certain ways. Same thing with Noah Shannon. But they've got to find a way to get to the passer, get to the quarterback, because what it all does is when you disrupt the passing game, then that forces the offenses to be um, you know, impatient, and then that's when the defense takes advantage of that, especially with interceptions and uh, and big plays in that regard. I think there's some potential for that, a lot of potential for that this week. And there wasn't last week because you're going against Joe Burrow. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll I like that comparison. Yeah, I like that. He's he's damn good. He's going to be, you know, maybe he'll be a bear in a few, few years, Chad. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> Drew Aller is fantastic. I'm, Moratorium I'm on the Bears yeah, here. Yeah, I, I sold, I'm sold on him. But I'll say that, that there's an opportunity this week, but they haven't gotten there yet. The yards per play make me still think that this is a very good defense, but it's not elite yet. What say you? I'm with you. Uh, the trust level I have in Phil Parker is 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. The trust level I, level I have with the offense is about a 1 out of 10. So I believe that these issues will get fixed. A couple of players we're talking about, uh, Xavier Wampa actually said this. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it here. It's in my column for, for Saturday's um, newspaper. But uh, basically, 
they've realized what teams are doing to them, which is they're taking what their Iowa's giving them. We saw Iowa State even do that. They ran mm-hmm. 76 plays to Iowa's 51, and right. uh, that was smart. Uh, Iowa's at a 20-play-per-game disadvantage right now, and that's why the defense looks worse than it is. And you can't – that's not going to be sustainable, Scott, the whole year. Mm-hmm. So right. what Xavier Wampa says, we've noticed that. We've made some adjustments. We're excited to play on Saturday. So I don't know what that is, but I believe in Phil Parker to – tweak something when needed. Seth Wallace, Kelvin Bell, those guys uh, to make an appropriate change. And I also think Phil is going to continue to bank on the fact that they're not facing Drew Aller every week the rest of the way. I mean, who's the best? Tell me, who's the best quarterback I was going to face the rest of the season? Tanner Mordecai? Is that the best? Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Hudson maybe. Card, maybe? Yeah, maybe. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. That's what I, I'm I mean, saying. seriously, it's you, you look at up and down the lineup, and they're all they're all transfers basically in the Big Ten West, except for Ethan Galakinakis from from uh, Minnesota. But he, they're all the same boat. They're all been yeah. inconsistent. So that's what I mean. I mean, so the old tried and true system of counting on the opponent to make a mistake, I think, still will prevail. I think, mm-hmm. uh, but I like the fact that I'm hearing, hey, we need to make a few adjustments. And I, I mean, I think you could, if teams are going to do that, Scott, tell me what you think about this. I wouldn't be opposed to rushing three and putting eight guys in coverage. If you're not going to get there, if they're going to throw a quick game, cover everyone. <laughs> you know, just just blanket cover, rush two. I mean, just make a, yeah. I'm serious, I, you know, something different. Uh, and someone else brought this up to me, and I thought it was a really good point. I don't think the linebacker, you know, Jack Campbell obviously was a unicorn. Uh, I don't know if the linebacker speed is where they're very, very solid, but I don't know if the speed speed is there to be blitzing those guys as much. Maybe that's part of it too. Hmm. Good point. Uh, I haven't really thought about that. I do think that Nick Jackson is capable of providing the Seth Benson piece. Seth was very good and efficient as a blitzer and as a pass rusher, got a lot of hurries last year. And then hurries are hurries matter. And, and I think Nick Jackson's capable of that. And, and, and right now I'm, I'm giving him a little more benefit of the doubt because I think he played really well last week, played really hard and he's learning and he's getting better at a very fast rate. Jay Higgins is to me been a godsend to this defense doing so many things. Well, he's not Jack Campbell, but nobody else is either that I've ever seen in Iowa history. So I think he's playing really, really well, but I do agree with you that, you know, maybe it's, it, maybe it is a little bit of the coverage. Maybe it is the, the fact that they gave a lot of cushion. Uh, they did give a lot of cushion to Penn state. They did do that at some in Iowa state against Iowa state too. Um, almost like, and, and the weird part is <laughs> that this is the week where you do want to give a little bit of cushion because the only thing Michigan State can really do is hit the big play in the passing game. Noah Kim's pretty decent at it. they got a couple of good receivers who are, you know, really high yards per catch ratios. Reminds me a lot of Indiana a couple of years ago when Penix was there. I think I thought Penix was better than Noah Kim, though. And, and certainly I think the receivers then were better. So I, I think they're capable of, of – major disruption this week and turning this from a team that, you know, has, has had three sacks and three turnovers forced in four games to all of a sudden it's eight and seven or something like that. But uh, so I, I think this can be a real impactful game for Iowa. 
Yeah, definitely opportunity this week. Uh, you know, I think Hudson Cards is a pretty good quarterback. Card mm-hmm. is a pretty good quarterback next week. We'll see. But obviously, first things first, you got to beat the Spartans. And uh, I just wonder eventually, you know, teams still aren't. I guess Penn State did a little bit, but they aren't really throwing at Cooper D. Gene. You want people to throw at Cooper D. Gene. So um, I just wonder if, I don't know, maybe you slide him to cash periodically. Just try, try a package with him at cash. Lee and Harris at corner. Maybe you take, I mean, God forbid, take Wampa out of the game and put Castro at strong safety um, just to kind of, you know, Cooper's a really good, he's good against the run. He can blitz. I, I think, I feel like he could maybe make more of an impact on the game at cash. And you feel like you've got a little bit of comfort at corner with Lee and Harris as well. I don't know if this is the week, like you said, because you don't want to give up the big play. Um, so I don't know if this is the week, but maybe something to watch down the road. I don't know. Uh, we're that just would, that would be really fascinating. You know, you know what they do now, which I, I think you've got a great point here, and that is now when they go to their four-two-five pass uh, package, what we see a lot is we see um, uh, you know Kyler Fisher g- going the game for Nick Jackson, but maybe it's put Deshaun Lee out of corner and then move um, Cooper DeGene to kind of that secondary role there you know and that might force some things um in the passing game make them uncomfortable and no offense to to kyler fisher i think he's played okay but i think this might be a situation where they could take advantage of their athletes but this week might be a tough week because you don't deshaun lee's played really well but if you don't get to the quarterback you might expose them a little bit in singular coverage yeah, I'm actually excited to see what kind of adjustments, if any, Phil Parker makes, because he did kind of reference that as well. I noticed that when we had him on the Zoom yesterday, there was a little inkling that there might be some changes, um, yeah. just little changes uh, coming up. Um, anyway, uh, Iowa still, Scott, after all this, is still plus 125 to win the West Division, which is barely less than even money. And speaking of odds, I want to remind folks that Circus Sports is the exclusive sports betting app of Iowa Everywhere. Circus Sports is betting the way it should be with the highest limits, lowest holds, and best odds. Download the app today at the App Store, CircusSports.com. Scott, we got more NFC North tonight, Packers-Lions. It's Van Ness versus Laporta and Campbell, like the rookie bowl of Hawkeyes. So you got to tune in on Amazon Prime. Uh, Circa has the Lions by two and a half. Um, I'm going to go the other way. I like the Packers at home tonight in Lambeau. I don't. <laughs> I know you're a closet Lions fan over there. I know that. Yeah, you know, I'm starting to take the mistress out on dates the way the Bears have been playing. <laughs> All right, let's get to the main. <laughs> on that note, let's get to the main topic, uh, Scott, which is uh, the offense, obviously. But we, we itemized all the glaring problems in Happy Valley, so let's just dig right in. What can be fixed right now with the Iowa offense? We'll get into to maybe, you know, future fixes if, if time. But right now, eight games left. What can Iowa do to fix this offense? Where would you start, Scott? I would start with targets to wide receivers. I, I think you've got to get them more involved. That's, that's the one way where you can start to build confidence, which is a quick game involving your wide receivers. It could be one step throw. It could be slants. It could be hitches. It could be anything to get the ball in their hands. Even if that's only a one or two yard reception and that's it, Chad, they they've touched the ball. They've caught 14 passes. They've been targeted 35 times. This is an offense that is last in, in by a long stretch 
in in targeting your wide receivers and you go to the portal and you bring them here and you tell them hey this is this is an opportunity and you're not getting opportunities you've got to put the ball in their hands is that the magic elixir fix no but i think it's it's something that can it's like sweet and low <laughs> it brings a little bit better flavor to the offense so i don't know that's where i would start chad what about you uh, we both, you know, great minds think alike, right? We both wrote about that this week. Uh, didn't, you know, had, didn't even talk about that. That's just kind of, but it's just so glaring. He almost had yeah. to in a way. And you just, you know, two catches against Penn state. And one of them was from Deacon Hill on the last drive to Deontay Vines. So really just one catch for a wide receiver. Uh, I've been pleased with Seth Anderson, what I've seen from him. He's gotten the most snaps of all the receivers. So you can, you know, you, you can tell that Iowa coaches like him too. And I just uh, don't understand why they can't get the ball out wide to those guys. I mean, heck, Northwestern Scott had a receiver that I've never heard of uh, get a, get 215 yards receiving against the Gophers the other night. <laughs> I mean, I just, what I don't understand, and I know I'm not in solutions, is why it's so hard. Why is it so hard to do this? Um, this is a, another wild stat on that topic. That's where I would start too, Scott. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, I think there's got to be a concerted effort just like there was after the Noah Fant hubbub in 2018, the week after the Fant mm -hmm. stuff really hit the fan. He was on the, he was on the field for 24 of, of Iowa's first 25 plays at Illinois the next week. And Iowa won 63, nothing. <laughs> that was a change. Be, make it a concerted effort. Go to these guys. Iowa wide receivers have not led the team in yards, Scott, in any of the last nine games. Uh, tight ends. They have had less re receiving yards than tight ends in all nine of those games that you'd have to go back to the Northwestern win last year, which is the best the offense looked. Hey, no, you know, how about that correlation? That's the best the offense has looked in the last two years, probably against Northwestern last year. Receivers actually had some, I think, 10 catches in that game, which is, or maybe 11. Um, so, yeah, I would start there. I've got some other stuff on my list, but, uh, you know, maybe some more. I I think I would just commit to more 11 personnel. I like Nico in the slot. I like Seth Anderson out wide. I like Deontay Vines out wide. Uh, I feel like the, I know they love 13 and 12 personnel, but you don't have Luke Lachey anymore. Um, mm -hmm. You know, do you want, you know, all due respect to Steve Stilianos and Addison Estrenga, but, you know, are they really going to move the ball down the field quickly? Um, I'd, I'd, I'd go more 11 personnel, and I feel like I feel like Iowa runs better out of 11 personnel half the time anyway. What do you think? For sure. I, I mean, 76 of their plays have included at least two tight ends on the field, and they've gone, you know, 13 and 14, which is, when you think about it, is just crazy when I, I keep all those numbers myself. And they were at almost 62% when Hawkinson and Fant were there. So you're, you're you know, 15% more of your offense when you don't even have two first-round picks. And as good as Lachey and all are, they're – um, you know, they're not quite first rounders. So I, I'm, I'm really baffled as to why lean in that hard with those players all the time. And and so, yes, I, I think that's, uh, you know, only 57 plays, you know, not even 
you know, barely what 14 a game include three wide receiver sets. That's got to be higher. I mean, you've got to get that get those people on the field. And and you're right about a lot of the cases when you when you run out of 11, even though you're removing a physical blocker, but you're spreading the field. And when you, especially when you're running zone, that's what you want. You want a wider field. You want an ability for cutback lanes for speed to be a you know you, you can't run effective zone out of that kind of physical battlefield and and you know now they've run a lot more gap than usual and that there's some impact there but it's just not going to work and the, the running numbers suggest that um, especially last week you know and then in the big picture you've got to stop the flow of wide receivers leaving this program you know for over the last ten years Iowa recruited 24 freshman wide receivers. Of that group, 13 transferred, two switched to defense, one medically retired, and another Brody Brecht with baseball only. Three remain on the roster, and only four have exhausted their eligibility while at Iowa. And you think about that. I mean, that's Brandon Smith. That's Amir Smith-Marset, Max Cooper, Matt Vandenberg. And then you got three guys now, you know, which – who knows? Jacob Bostick's one of them. Deontay Vines, Nico, Will, you know, he'll add to that group. But but only four of those players got 90 catches in their careers. So and, and then you're chasing away guys, you know, that have transferred, that have walked on. You know, Charlie Jones, we obviously know about, went from 21 catches to 110. Oliver Martin, which this team could have used. Tyrone Tracy, who's, you know, transferred and now it's kind of a jack of all trades that they liked initially. You've got to start leaning on that. This is a different game than it was 20 years ago, and they're playing it like it's still 2002 and Dallas Clark is the tight end. He's 44 years old. It's time to start thinking ahead. It's the 20s, (laughs) not the 1920s, the 2020s. Yeah, you touched on a point that I think is – very valid is you got these transfer receivers to come here this year with kind of the promise or at least the the hope of change with McNamara and his comments, which have been, you know, resurfaced this week, you know, about throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, please tell us we're the worst offense. Um, now, I mean, how do you get receivers to come here after this? You know, yeah. you got Caleb Brown, you got Seth Anderson here. Now do something with them. Uh, I, I feel I, I kind of understand the, you can tell they that he's not quite up to speed like Seth Anderson is. Um, mm-hmm. it, but still, I'd like to see him, you know, force feed him that first catch. Just you know, give give the crowd something to cheer about, uh, even if it's a six yard play or a tunnel screen, something like that. Um, I let, I'm going to give I want to give credit to our friend Tom Kakert. Uh, he had Chuck Long on his podcast this week, and Chuck said something really interesting that I wanted to get your thoughts on, and at least just throw out there into the public. When Chuck was an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, uh, they went into a an Oklahoma Texas game, like big game, and mm-hmm. Kevin Wilson, yeah. yeah, was was the co-offensive coordinator, I believe, at the time, and they stole a draw play from somebody, West mm-hmm. Virginia, I think he said, yeah, uh, that they had never run before that week in practice, and they ran it. He said he they ran that draw play for on its own for 150 yards in that game. And they won the game, Oklahoma over Texas, the Red River uh, rivalry, right? Uh, Not the shootout anymore. But uh, anyway, I just wonder if Brian Ferentz, John Budmeyer, 
you know, you got so many analysts these days. Are you trying to steal stuff from other playbooks? Are you trying to implement anything? Or is it just, we do what we do. We need to run the ball when everyone knows we're going to run the ball. That's getting old, man. Uh, let's see something creative. Let's see something different in the playbook this week that Michigan State's not ready for. I mean, it seems like a, it seems obvious to me that when your offense is this bad, what's, what's, you know, what's the harm in trying something different? We know how this fan base responds, Chad, to, to change and difference. They they love it. They live it. I remember when uh, Marshall Kane ran a fake field goal. Um, it didn't even work, but everybody gave him a standing ovation back in 2015 uh, against Illinois State. <clears throat> That's the same situation here. If on the first play of the game, if they ran a flea flicker and Kate McNamara throws it 60 yards down the field to Seth Anderson, and even if it's incomplete, what are they going to do? They're going to stand and cheer. And you know what the players are going to do? All right, we're, we're aggressive. We're attacking. We're doing something different. That's an energy play for everybody, even if the next play is second and 10. And I think that's what they've got to do here. And um, I, I listened again, and Todd, Tom had a great podcast, one of the better ones I've heard with Chuck. And Chuck tried to offer solutions, and, and a lot of them, even though I think his ideas are great, they're not going to be implemented, you know, like switch the play caller. That would be the best one of all, but that's not going to work. I think in this case, it's probably just do something that they're not prepared for and try to energize your team. I saw – I don't know what you thought, body language, expressions the other day. I was not at all, I did not at all think that anything was positive there. I saw a down team, no confidence, um, you know, and asking both Nico and especially Cade, they deferred. They weren't, they were like, well, ask the quarter, you know, ask the coach. I'm not a coach. I'm a quarterback. You know, that's, you know, that that's basically saying, hey, that's out of my hands. And when you start to get to that point, then there the finger pointing is very close. So I, I really am concerned. And so they've got to either get with it and do something different and energize this team, or they could lose their team and all the advantages that their schedule brings could be for not coming up. Yeah. I mean, we, we think about it somewhat sometimes from the fans perspective, like the fans want to see more, but you're right. The players want to see something, you know, they, you want to give them something to, to believe in, to invest in for these next eight weeks when they're in the weight room. And I know the culture is great and, you know, they got great leadership, whatever, but if you're not producing on the field, you know, uh, I hate to bring up the bears again, but you know, what are they playing for in these next 14 games? Like, is this, it's already mm-hmm. starting to get tough. Um, so give them something to, to buy into. Hey, we are, we are willing to change course. And I just feel like it's just been too stubborn under this offensive coordinator to, to not do anything different. And then even, I mean, heck, going back to the spring press conference with Brian, it was like, no, we're not going to change anything. Why are the players telling you that? We're going to do the same stuff. We're going to do it better. I mean, it's like, okay, well, it's not working. So, and your job is on the line right now. And frankly, uh, the Gary Barta clause is starting to look better and better as a, yeah. as an insulation because Kirk Ferentz is, is not going to fire his son. So uh, it almost gives you a little bit of hope if, if this does tank, that at least there will be a change in that respect. Uh, where, where did let's, let's talk about the drive for 23, 25, just a little bit here. I don't know if you're wanting to go there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 85 points now through 
four games. Um, we'll keep tracking it, obviously. Yeah. But they've got to average – they've got to score, uh, what, 65 over the next two. Is kind of, I mean, it would be hard to get 40 this week probably. I mean, you never know. But 65 over the next two weeks at home to get back on pace. So it doesn't look good right now, Scott. I mean, you're a couple – 10 to 7 games uh, from from not having a shot even to get into 300 let alone 325 where do you, how do you feel like this dynamics going cuz in i mean i he said this week he's not changing the play card not a surprise but uh it's it's going to be Brian's show here i'm i look at it as i i'm not a fan of the drive for 325 i wrote about that last week i'm going to stick with that that, that that's a metric that is it's arbitrary, and in some cases, it's it's detriment. It's a detriment to the program. However, and I do think overall, I'm probably more concerned. You know, as long as victory, victory is number one, but I'm more concerned with the yardage output than I am the actual point output when it comes to that. Because I think if they can move the ball, and even if it results in three, but if you can get from the 25 to the opponents. 27 and then kick a field goal you're you're okay you know versus what they're doing now which isn't anything and, and so but if they're going to come across as arrogant and stubborn as they have forever i mean that served kirk well for his career at least the stubborn part and the loyal part um and be effective and but if you're going to continue to go down this path you're going to give fans and a new athletic director reason to say i'm done i am just done with this i can't do this anymore i can't watch 16 to 10 you know it's just you need something there and when you and there seems to be such a this frustrates me this part does chat that there seems to be such a much higher standard for the defense than for the offense like you know like everything it's a false equivalency in my opinion, when you walk into a press conference and it's a team loss and, well, you know, we gave up a big play or we shanked a punt or we missed a field goal. And you're equating that with five or four first downs the other day or 76 yards. It's not the same, you know, and losing 31 to 24 would have felt a lot better than even losing 10 to seven. So I, I guess that's where I'm leaning here that, They've got to do something. I'm not saying it's drastic, but they've got to do something and change something, or it's it's gonna it's gonna be a bad conclusion for everybody. Because I didn't see enough out of Cade McNamara. He's not. Go I don't think he's going to be the good soldier that Spencer Petrus was, and just salute and do whatever they tell him to do. Uh, I because he came here for a reason, and it's not it's not to lose or even to win in some of these games. Oh man, yeah. Lots to unpack there. Um, I uh, speaking to solutions. Uh, we've heard uh, a lot of fans upset with George Barnett. Like, what what has he done in these three years? And I realized that I don't know where I am on that. I think where I am is that I believe Kirk that he is a good coach. Because I go back and I look at the numbers again. I, I did it today, Scott. This this has not been a good running game since 2009. Mm -hmm. Since since the Sean Green season, Definitely. here are the yards per carries, okay? I'm going to read mm -hmm. them off to you, 14 of them. 3.27, 4.3, 3.95, 3.65, 4.31, 3.5, 4.3, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 4.4, 
or it might be 2-1. I can't read my own writing. 4.12, 4.48 in 2015, mm-hmm. 4.45 in 2016. That's getting Those to acceptable Those levels. Yeah. 3.76, 3.95, 3.95, 4.62. Yes, pandemic year, though. Mm-hmm. Um, odd, odd, odd year. You had Tyler Linderbaum. You had Alaric Jackson. Um, 3.41 and uh, 21, 2.92 last year. Yeah. And you're in the threes again this year. So it's not George Barnett. And it's not post Chris Doyle, which everyone wants to talk about too. Ray Braithwaite is a great strength coach. Yeah. They're they're setting lifts, weightlifting records. It is to me, it's scheme. It's scheme. Mm-hmm. It's it's the whole offense. It's Kirk Ferentz. It's Kirk Ferentz's offense. That's three coordinators I just spanned there. This running game has not really been good. And I mean, the offensive ranks are like ninety plus in yards mm-hmm. per carry each year. I mean, they they pride themselves on being a running team and a run first team. It's it's just it's just not reality. So. Uh, That's where I think that's why I think I don't have any hope that this offense, even if it gets incrementally better the rest of the year, that there's it's fixed. Mm -hmm. I I look at it the same way, Chad, and that is, you know, anything to me in the way that they run, if it's at 4.2 or higher, it's not bad. It's actually pretty good. And if you get to four or five, it's actually really good. But the fact is, when you start to compare them and their style and the the physicality with which they want to play, to say Minnesota and Wisconsin. Well, why can't you do it that way? They get the same athletes you do. They they have the same tenets and principles and philosophies, and yet they run it at such a higher rate, you know, 5.5 yards per carry, or, you know, and we've seen it with Minnesota, you know, you know, act like a Zamboni on teams like last year against Iowa or, or you know, all the Wisconsin teams from the past. Why can't Iowa do it that way? And when why and even more so. Why can't you see that you're not doing it that way? I mean, what is your blind spot to this offense? And why is it not changing? And I hate to say this, and this may come across as as rough, but Kirk Ferentz is a Hall of Fame coach. I I fully agree when I will argue with people who say that he's not. 200-plus wins, um, one of the best coaches in Big Ten history. But there's a reason why he's not considered an elite-level head coach, not a Bill Snyder You know, everybody's south of Nick Saban, but he's in, you know, it's because he hasn't evolved as an offensive mind, as a a philosophy over his tenure. He hasn't changed when things needed to be changed back 10 years ago. He's changed off the field. New Kirk in 2015, the the stuff with the the racial issues a few years ago, he's made great changes and strides then. But on the field, his offensive product has stayed the stale same for 20 plus years. And that's why you make Iowa a bigger laughing stock than the bad teams in college football. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's it's week four and it it does not feel good, Um, you know, but uh, we I, I feel like all these are great topics. I feel like. You got to see wide receiver targets this week. You got to see something to get excited about this week, as you said. That's kind of what I'm looking for on Saturday. Um, I know we kind of got to wind down here, but here's a question that someone in my last thing on the offense, someone in my text group asked me this, 
and I don't know how to answer it. So I'm, I'm going to lean on you here, Scott. Because <laughs> uh, there's a, it's a sold out crowd on Saturday night. How he he asked me this: How should fans who want to continue to show up and support the players properly show their frustration with Kirk and Bryant? Because when they boo, it in the offense when the we know they're not booing. Well, sometimes maybe they were booing Petrus, but for the most part, we we I think we know that they're booing the coordinator, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but how do you properly? I don't know. How would you answer that question? That is the most difficult question of all because no, I can't. I can't think of a good answer. Yeah, you know, yeah, because you don't because wanna, you're showing up. You're go, you you want to show up. You know, you want to see the team. You want to support the team. You like the players, right? Um, you like your team. I mean, you want to be there. I, Iowa football is bigger than wins and losses to people. Yeah, it's it's a part of who they yeah. are. I mean, people play the Iowa fight song at their funerals. Or, you know, or, you know, on Iowa or at their weddings and they, they, in heaven, there is no beer. I mean, it is a culture. It is, it's what, it's why we do what we do. Otherwise yeah. we wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's, it's so important to people and they want to be at the games and they want to be enthused and they, and people, you know, we got to give them credit. They, they understand they're not going to win every game. They understand they're not going to play well in every game, but they, there's a frustration you know, I've heard it from people who normally are just kind of the silent majority of Iowa fans who, you know, they, they get over the losses and within a you know a couple minutes of the game, turn the game on. Well, shoot, they lost and move on with their lives. And, and but they're like, I can't take this anymore, you know, and and I don't know how they express it, Chad. I'm the same way you are because they want to support the players. They like the players. They love the black and gold. They love being there. They're not, they don't want to just say, well, I'm not going to show up then, you know, and that's, that's the hardest part. And how they get to that frustration level, you know, is it a, I, I would just say the same thing I always did before send an email to the athletic director. Yeah. And you've got a new, you've got a new voice at the top and you've got, uh, I just don't see – I don't know. We'll see where this goes, Scott, I guess. Uh, I just – it's hard for me to imagine a world where Iowa averages – we talked about this. Like, hey, they're going to go 10-2 and two and 24 points. They're going to – they'll bring back Brian, right? Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I think that would be about the least popular thing that Beth Getz could do yeah. <laughs> in January of 2024 uh, in her first step as athletic director, you know. So – It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, let's wind down now with some Big Ten talk and Iowa talk. Uh, after all this discussion, Scott, Iowa has five of its next seven games at home, and it might as well be six of seven, right? Because there's a neutral game at Wrigley Damn. Field, and I don't know many Wildcat fans that are going to be there. I've heard from a lot of Hawk fans that are going to be there. So uh, opportunity is there to ha still have a decent season. I think everyone assumes like, ah, we'll still go nine and three, 10 and two, whatever. But what if they don't, what if they don't go nine and three, 10 and two, Scott, what if it's seven and five? I don't know. With this schedule. I mean, it, it's really the equivalent of 2006 where, you know, they were ranked like 13th and then they lost Ohio state. It was, you know, I, I think game day was yeah, his last time game day was there. Yep. Four and oh, they got beat and, and then after that, I think they started five and one and then ended up, you know, one and six down the stretch with a team that was capable of winning way more than what they did. It would be 
if they were to, you know, that's the type of bowl game you'd, you'd go to and nobody wants to go to. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's bad news. And, and I, I don't know if this is, uh, you know, if they went down that path, heck, even if they go like nine and three, it means they got to lose two games, you know, to at least one yeah. probably to a rival and, and somebody else is going to Indianapolis. And how do you view the season then? I don't view it very highly. That's for sure. So I, I think if it's anything other than getting Indy, and I'd still suggest blowing it up offensively. I, I think that's the path to go. If I, you know, if I was in favor of, if I had a choice, I would say put John Budmeyer in as the play caller now, you know, and if that means demote Brian to analyst or something, I would do it because it seems like there's no confidence right now on offense. And this has been the same thing over and over again. And we know there's confidence that Cade has in John Budmeyer. And I, that's right. what I would do. Right. But, you know, I, I so I, I think any kind of changes will be welcomed, especially if it's not, you know, Ferentz family running the show other, other than the head coach. Well, obviously, he said Brian's going to call plays this week. And I know we're getting a little long here, but this topic is so important. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you pull that card out? I, here's what I think. You've got two weeks at home here against beatable teams. See where it goes. And then you've got this the big stage game. That's going to basically, we think, probably decide the West Division. It's up there. You don't usually play well up there. You, and your offensive coordinator has not had good games up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you get beat, and especially beat soundly, by a Wisconsin offense that just went and evolved – and brought in a brand new coordinator and changed its style completely. If you get beat by them by 10, 14 points and you look bad up there, I think there's no recovering for Brian Ferentz at that point. And I think that's the point where you change the play call. You cha- you make the change then. I mean, are you just going to run ride this out? Yeah. I don't know. I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think that's the game. Especially if if that those optics are there, mm-hmm. where Wisconsin you know, changed, you didn't. Yeah, and you guys got killed, and you lost the West. Yeah, so absolutely. We'll I, I I you know I know we're getting a little long in the tooth here, but I'll I'll, t- I'll say this: both our perspectives are pretty comparable on things. We're not real knee jerk, fire the coach after one bad performance, that sort of thing. When it comes to this, and you know, and I, it, but at this point, when you see all the, the the evolution and lack thereof of this offense over the years, and the, the commonalities, especially over the last three plus years, and you're still coming back to, we're not going to change. Well, you changed the quarterback, and why did he come? Well, he had a relationship with John Budmeyer, you know, and then you bring in wide receivers, and they were excited to be here, and they they went to California and had this great passing. Um, you know, se- session out there with Jordan Palmer and TJ Hushmanzada, and, and they felt really good and connected. And to see the body language and the, the look at defeat this week from some of those players, then it's like you've got to do something as a as an offensive coordinator to make it fun again, energize it, get on the same page, whatever it is, do it. Because if you don't, the season's lost, and you will irreversibly impact your legacy in my opinion. Yeah. And 
you know, we know Brian Ferentz is pretty stubborn, stuck, you know, mm-hmm. mostly set in his ways. But, uh, yeah, he's got – he does have a humility, humble side to him, I feel yeah. like. He does have that. Um, we'll see if he's, he's willing to make significant changes and admit that things have not gone well. So, uh, f- to me, that's what makes Saturday such a fascinating game because you've got a – uh, opponent limping in here. I know we didn't talk about the matchup much <laughs> yeah. uh, in so many ways as a program. And you beat them 49 to 7 with your backs against the wall three years ago. Uh, same yeah. basic coach. Uh, right. and, you know, so go do it again, have some fun, blow them out, and uh, maybe you make people feel better. But if not, oh boy. Yeah. God forbid if they lose this week. My gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I I think when you look at this and you have a wounded opponent, first game on the road, they've lost two games by a total of 72 to 16. Their coach officially got fired yesterday. Um, They've got this is dead team walking and you could put them out really early in this game. Mm -hmm. And this is it would not surprise me at all if this is, again, a five sack four turnover game for the defense pick six. They win like they did the last time they played them, 41 to 7 or something like that. But I would hope that if that's the case, that nobody feels the need to spike the football in our face on Saturday night because you've got a lot of season left. You know, they could do that this week, maybe even win decisively next week, and then go to Madison, as you said, and go, you know, and 27 to 7 loss like they did last time, too. Yeah. I picked 28 13 Iowa. What do you have? Um, I, I'm going to, I haven't gone officially yet. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm going to go 31, 13. Let's just say that. Okay. We're in the same boat here. Uh, yeah. Iowa covers and goes over, over yeah. the total. So, Ooh, <laughs> the total. all right. Uh, well, thanks Scott. Thank you all out there for the, for sticking with us for the long episode. Uh, next week, crossover season, Iowa basketball media days, men on Monday, women on Wednesday ahead of our next show. So we should have plenty to talk about next week as well, Scott. I'll see you Saturday. Yeah, looking forward to it, Chad. All right, for Scott Docterman, this is Chad Lystico. Uh Join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. from the Channel Seed Studios. We'll talk to you then here on Iowa Everywhere. Iowa Everywhere.